Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me for another great episode to help you up your game and achieve more in the world of talent development. And today we are covering a topic that I feel like has been pretty hot over the last year, which is talent mobility or career mobility. And we're especially looking at it from the perspective of helping people who don't always get the same opportunities as everybody else. We're talking more about blue-collar workers, frontline workers, people who don't always get the opportunity to join hypo programs or get selected to be in a special program to help them move up or get opportunities to move across an organization. We're covering talent mobility and talent development at large, but this is one area where we're focusing in. And my guest today is an expert on this subject, something that he's really passionate about. My guest today is Matthew Daniel, who for nearly 20 years has consulted on talent development, talent management, and HR technology strategies for Fortune 500 companies, including Nike, Boston Consulting Group, Capital One, Chipotle, Allstate, Cigna Healthcare, Microsoft, Walmart, General Motors, and more. Matthew currently serves as Principal of Talent Strategy and Mobility at Guild Education, where he researches and consults on the intersection of skills, pathways, and mobility, and equity in the workforce. Matthew speaks at industry events with chief HR officers, CLOs, and chief diversity officers, both inspiring and challenging his field. Matthew is regularly published in industry outlets like TD Magazine, CLO, Talent Management, and Training Magazine, and he serves as a member of the Talent Management, Culture, and Diversity Subcommittee of the Defense Business Board, where he advises the Secretary of Defense and other Pentagon leaders on the latest in talent practices. So as you can tell from his resume, this guy knows his stuff. And when he reached out, I thought it'd be really interesting to have a conversation on this topic of talent mobility and particularly helping companies leverage education to create more talent mobility 
including for those who don't normally get that opportunity. And that is what our episode is all about. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Matthew Daniel on helping companies leverage education to create more talent mobility. All right, I am joined now by Matthew Daniel, who is a talent mobility expert and excited to dig into that topic today. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you on because as you and I were talking just before we started recording, you know, I do a lot of work in the career development space and work with a lot of people in talent development. And I would say one of the hottest topics that comes up a lot all the time, and, and maybe it's a little bit of bias because it's what you know hits my ears that I'm paying attention sure. to, is this topic of talent mobility and career mobility and how do we help people move around and and find different positions and things to do within organizations and, and not leave, right? And so I'm excited to dig into that topic because I know a lot of people are thinking about it, trying to figure that out. But before we do, I'd love to start with a little bit of your background. You know, How did you get into this space, this line of work in, in the first place? Yeah. So I have been in some form of learning and talent development since the day I graduated from college nearly 20 years ago. I started with a company called GP Strategies, which is kind of all over the map in the L&D space, consulting with a lot of different companies. So I got to spend the first couple of years of my career in what felt like a rotational program, just getting to experience L&D programs at Department of Defense or Homeland Security or the VA, and then kind of in the private sector working with Cigna, Microsoft, GlaxoSmithKline, just bouncing around a lot of different places, solving different problems that those companies had um, paid GP strategies to get involved with. And so I fell in love with this field. I, I guess if I really had my brothers, I would I would work in the nonprofit world and help with development in the nonprofit world that I need to pay bills. And so I actually ended up going that corporate route And when I got into the corporate route, I thought, damn, if I could somehow make money and help people be better all day long, I can't think of a better way to spend my time and pay the bills for my family than like making the world better one person at a time. So that's how I got started. That's how I grew up in it. I think in the mobility space in particular, what got me really excited, I think if you went to 21-year-old Matthew, who started in learning and development, he would have said to you like, hey, if I help make people better, this is not hypothetical. This is really what I would have said to you at 21, is if I help make a person better, they can make more income. And folks who have more income are able to send their kids to college and make investment in their own kids. And so having an investment in one person in the form of learning and new skills opens generational impacts. Like that's something I've always believed about our field is that we're never just working with the person sitting in front of us or that's going through our courses or that's being developed. We are actually helping generations around them. And so that's always felt good to me. When I was at Capital One in particular, I I left the consulting world, went in-house at Capital One and spent six years there. And we were in the middle of our digital transformation. And so, uh, For me, digital transformation meant some jobs were being eliminated, some jobs were transforming into something entirely different. And what I didn't want to see happen is for careers, for folks to end up having to leave the organization. And so Mm -hmm. I really got focused on mobility as a means of helping people reskill for new roles altogether or for how their roles were transforming. It's a whole lot of fun. It's a really hard challenge. It's a whole whole lot of fun and it's kind of stuck since then. 
Yeah. Well, that's that's why I think that topic, I've been hearing it come up so often recently, especially from people who work in HR, talent development, learning, development, recruiting, what name, what have you, in large companies like Capital One and many others, because you know, you look at someone who is maybe feeling a little bit stuck or, you know, bored for lack of a better word in their current role, or they're just wondering, hey, what's next for me? And they're not necessarily getting that guidance or the structure's not there for mobility. And they start, you know, they what do they do? They go on LinkedIn and start looking for other opportunities, right? But but when you work in that organization, you look around and you say, Wow, we have 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000 roles right. here. There's right. got to be something that would, you know, take advantage of this person's strengths, would fulfill them in the type of work they want to do and keep them within our organization so that we don't lose them to go somewhere else. Yeah, I think there's so much to unpack even in just that frame that you gave, yeah. which is first of all, that yeah, there are a lot of HR organizations who are focused on mobility. And I think they're focused on it just in like really near term reasons, because the number one reason people left their jobs last year for 2021 was that they did not see a future. I started getting phone calls in Q1 this year from HR leaders who were looking at their exit survey data, uh, examining it for last year. And they they found that the primary reason people were leaving is that they didn't they couldn't see a future in their own organization. And so I think there it's not just this sense of like, how might we, how could we help develop our own talent? But it became really a pain point around retention. We we say often, I work at a company called Guild Education, and we say often at Guild that employees are looking for uh, pay, like reasonable pay. And if we look mm-hmm. uh, since 2020, we've seen a 10% increase in wage growth, which is the most significant in decades. Yep. Uh, number two, they're looking for purpose. They are looking to know that the work that they does that, excuse me, they are looking to know that the work that they do actually matters. Yeah. I think if if you haven't looked at one of my favorite reports that come as, comes out each year is the Edelman Trust Barometer. And the Edelman Trust Barometer said that something like 80% of employees would are looking, expect their employer to provide a mission that's worth them working for. And then the mm-hmm. third thing that they're looking for is pathways. Show me that there's a future. Show me that there is something more than a job that I am in today, that I can grow, that I can develop new skills, that I can be something more. I also, before before you go to your next question, Andy, like I want to say out loud that I think this concept of pathways, uh, pay, and, and purpose has largely been established for white collar workers, for those that yeah. are uh, exempt populations. I think one of the areas of greatest passion for me is to say that this whole concept, and, and if I think about this podcast in general, the talent development hot seat, I think if we segment out the way that learning and development, we call it learning and development, mm-hmm. but in reality, there's a certain audience that gets talent development, and then there's a certain audience that gets learning. And those audiences are often segmented, like everybody gets learning. Here's what you need to know to do your job today. But then a really select audience actually gets talent development. Here's what we need you to know so that you can be our talent for the future, two Mm. years from now, five years from now, so that we can help move you into the right places. And we tend to, we go through this segmenting process and and we say, hey, you you are the one that is worthy of our time and investment. And so we're going to call you high potential and we're going to actually make the investment in you. And I think so much of my passion these days 
is driven around the fact that mobility and talent development shouldn't be for the few, for the hypos, for those who come from good universities and great backgrounds, but it should be largely across the organization invested in whomever is willing to reach out and grab it. And those are the people that we should invest in and uh, we should help them see a, a vision of the future and help them be mobile. And if we are an employer that does that, then they're more likely to stay. Mm, yeah, straight up. You said it there earlier. They want you know pay, purpose, and pathways. I haven't been thinking as much about the pay part, although it's sort of like the table stakes, if you will. Like People right. want to know they're being yeah. paid fairly. Obviously, they got bills to pay. And then I think a lot about people's desire to have fulfillment in their career, right? And right. I learned a long time ago, I think I first heard it from Tony Robbins and then studying this myself that, you know, all fulfillment generally comes from growth and contribution. So people want to feel like they are growing or have the ability to grow and that their work matters, right? So that purpose piece, like when I come to work every day, is my work mattering? Maybe the pay kind of goes to appreciation. Do people appreciate the work that I'm doing? Does my work matter? And is there an opportunity for me to grow? And what I'm hearing from you is that a lot of times companies, when they're foc when they're doing talent development, providing learning and development opportunities, hypo programs, they're more focused on certain groups that tend to be a little bit more privileged or already set up for success. And there's yeah. not as much focus or opportunities for those frontline employees, blue collar, whatever you want to call it, who are on the front yeah. lines doing the work and have tons of potential to move up and do lots of different things if given the opportunity, if given the development, if if given the chance. Yeah, I, I think I you've nailed it there. I think th there's a phrase that I love to go back to, which is that um, talent is equally distributed, opportunity is not. Mm. And so how do we make sure that we're connecting all of our workforce with the opportunity to grow if they're interested, if they're pursuing it? I think I come from a family, I'm the only college graduate I'm the oldest of four. I'm the first college graduate in many, many generations in my family. And I look at my siblings who grew up in the same house, had the same knowledge and information, had many of the same social network that I would have had growing up. I went to college. They did not. And they are living good lives, uh, not to take anything away from that. They're tradespeople who do great work and provide for their family. Also, their opportunities are limited where they can go beyond where they are right now or towards something else is largely inhibited by the lack of degree or credential. And it's not that I think a degree is the end all be all, because I certainly right. don't. I, I'm a and proponent that seems of to be, And that seems to be changing as well, right? There are it, more it opportunities. Does. It does. Yeah. And I even think on this broader topic about, you know, opportunity, education, development, I think companies, you can't go back to 2020 and, and 2021 and not see companies recognizing that it's highly likely that I have been a tool of reinforced systemic cultural issues. Mm. And so I think what I'm talking about is not entirely novel, especially for HR professionals who are out there. There has been a tremendous amount of reflection in recent years that we have created a very segregated approach to even talent development. And we and we largely frame that in the exempt versus non-exempt employees. You know, when I won't talk about anybody else, I'll just talk about me. I made a lot of decisions for a large part of my career based on exemption status or hypo or not. And I didn't think about the implicate, not once did it cross my mind mm. that what I was doing was actually limiting folks who had come from 
a marginalized background from continuing to access things that would uh, create opportunity for them. So yeah, all that to say, it's been a reflection time for me. Recent years have been a reflection time for me. And my hope is that at every opportunity that I get a platform like this to talk with other HR professionals, yeah. to ask them to reflect on whether the practices we're engaging with every day are making the world more equitable mm. or are reinforcing inequity in society uh, for those who have been the most marginalized historically. Yeah, I, I think 2020 and the social justice movement was a wake up call for many of us who maybe thought, you know, I act in an equitable way, right? With this equal opportunity for everybody, I'm not discriminating against anyone. You know, we're looking out into the organization and and everyone has an opportunity to become a high potential employee or to get a job in this job. You know, we're not saying, hey, these types of people can't get a job here, but right. didn't really look at, you know, what are the systemic things in place that prevent certain people from getting to, positions or from getting a job because they weren't a, you know, quote, culture fit or for getting into a hypo program, uh, all those things that we've started to become aware were inhibitors to start to open things up. And so we are seeing organizations make changes, right? But what I'm hearing from you is that there's still work to be done, especially when it comes to things like hypo programs, not being available to all the best people. Yeah. I think the, a, a really classic <laughs> example of this is campus recruiting and talent mm. development programs. Mm. This is something I actually wrote an article on this in talent management a week or two ago, which is what, what would happen, what might happen if we decided that instead of all of our campus recruiting coming from outside, which it's important, you've got to have new concepts, you've got to have good things coming in from the outside to keep your organization fresh. But what if we did something like reserve 50% of our campus recruiting and campus development roles that we typically bring in MBAs from outside or we bring in HR professionals from a certain company. And what if we dedicated those roles to somebody like who is graduating from your own education assistance or tuition assistance program internally? These are folks who know your business, they know your customers, they know your challenges. And now they've got the same degree that you would require from anybody else externally. But instead of giving that role away externally, you give it to that own, to that same employee internally and you let them grow their careers. Uh, it starts as a frontline, or I say frontline, entry-level exempt role, just like any other. Uh, the difference is now you've got some of your own internal talent. So what, what might happen if we just re reserve 50% of those roles for internal talent to get that same kind of opportunity? Is it possible that the same way we imagine that pipeline as being our future executives, they would be our future executives as well, except for this time they would come with internal insights and having known our customer and worked on the front lines of our own company and then become those leaders in our organization. Yeah. As you look out at the landscape and work with different organizations, what are some mistakes you still see or challenges you still see that are getting in the way or preventing more talent mobility from happening? Oh, yeah. There are a number. I think there's so many things that come to mind, but one is that just the sheer recruiting process, like the talent acquisition process has been designed for external hires. And so most mm -hmm. HR professionals will tell you that it's actually easier to get hired externally than it is to get hired yeah. internally. So I think whether we're like there, let me say a positive role. Let me go to a positive view of this, Andy, which is like if I just had an internal sourcing team, 
I would increase my mobility dramatically just by having people who were scanning my existing talent and finding the right people to bring internally. They can still look at LinkedIn and my own employees on LinkedIn and increase mobility for my own employees. I think one of the practices that is terrible is we're so afraid that people are going to leave our organization that we actually don't give them the kind of career development. Here's the thing. Your executives, you're like willing to give them a career coach and you're willing to like spend deep time and how, and nobody's afraid that they're going to leave when they're giving them that executive coach. They're thinking, holy cow, you may stay. I need to make sure that you're good enough for the role that you're in. I think one of the practices that's just really good, I think this this point resonates with folks often, which is if you have somebody who's been interviewing for jobs externally, they have been doing multiple interviews across different companies. They've been figuring out what it is they're looking for, what they want, what they're interested in. That's a career exploration phase that most job seekers go through. Internal hires have spent three years in your role, not interviewing anywhere, Mm. not updating their resume. And so if we put those two candidates side by side, ironically, one of them is probably going to be a better fit. It's probably your internal candidate. But the one who's going to look really good in the hiring process is the one who's practiced at interviewing and has a nice resume that they've worked on. Mm. So as an employer, one of the services that I could provide without a whole lot of fear that you're going somewhere else is just help you get your resume ready. Give you a coach to help you do some rounds of practicing on interviewing, because I believe this hypothetical employer believes that it is in my best interest to help you become mobile inside the organization. And so I signal to existing employees, hey, I'm going to help you prep for that next internal interview because I believe that it is in your best interest to grow and develop here. There's always the risk that they leave, but ultimately the data tells us when we even look at the learners that Guild interacts with from employers, that over two thirds of those folks are looking for internal opportunities. They really Mm -hmm. want to stay in their company. That's why they're growing and developing. It's not so they can go get something somewhere else. So that's an example of another practice that they can do is just practice on interview and resume and get them ready for that next thing. I'll give just one more. And I think this is the, have you seen, Andy, have you seen that the Spider-Man meme where they're like the three Spider-Mans in, in the alley and they're all like pointing at each other? I think, I think, think there so. is this, uh, if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. Okay. But it's like, are you the real Superman? I, I said Superman. I'm going to try that again. Hey, Andy, there is this fan. We're going to cut that part out. All right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. There is a fantastic Spider-Man meme where there are three Spider-Mans in an alley, Spider-Men, Spider-Man, I don't know, Spider-Men in an alley pointing all at each other, like who's the real Spider-Man. And I think when it comes to mobility, we do a lot of pointing. Like HR and recruiters are like, we can't do this without good candidates and without hiring managers who are ready to help us. And hiring managers are like, we can't see who the candidates are and we're not really sure that the candidates are ready. And people internally are like, the hiring managers won't help us and HR won't help us. And so you've got this real quandary, this dilemma of multiple stakeholders in the process that are having to make the decision or to be helpful in it. And so I think somebody has to break that stalemate and start working with hiring managers and saying like, hey, hiring manager, and I I believe that it's because hiring managers feel risk. Like every hiring manager, if you've ever made a hire, you're scared to death through the recruiting process that you're making a mistake that's going to end you in employee resource or employee relations in the months to come. Like, did I am I making the right hire? 
So I think we have to remove risk from hiring managers by saying to them, we think internal hiring is the best thing. Take a risk here. This internal hire is going to work out okay. We believe it and we're going to back you and we're going to support you for helping us as an organization achieve our mission of creating mobility and opportunity for our employees. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, I like those ideas. And I have heard from a couple of organizations, one in particular I work with who has gone as far as to set up an internal hiring team or internal recruiting team to look only for internal candidates to fill roles that are open uh, which I haven't heard of too many organizations doing. So that was a great innovative step because, you know, you need to fill these roles. Ostensibly, you probably have, you know, presumably you have recruiters who are looking outside, right? Why not sure. look inside to see who could fill those roles? I recently interviewed my friend Julianne Miles on this podcast who was talking about how she's building an, a culture of growth from within at Siva Logistics and was talking about doing similar things. What I don't think I've heard of is the idea of, you know, could you bring in career coaches to work with your people. And of course, the, the reaction to that might be, well, if we have career coaches work with their people, they're going to think, well, you know, they're going to polish up their resume. They're going to look somewhere else. But what if they value the investment in them and they're using that primarily to find the right role internally? And that yeah. raises their level of engagement and fulfillment. And that gets people excited. They were, they go out and, and refer people into the organization. There could be a lot of benefits that come from this. It's just not something I've I've seen or heard done very often. Yeah, you just talked to Dr. Kamar Yule a few weeks ago, and uh, Rock actually has this kind of internal team right. that's sourcing talent. They're partner with Guild. They have that team that is in looking at talent internally. They've seen a dramatic increase in internal hires and placement for folks who are reskilling as a result of that. We're seeing, I'll just tell you two industries in particular, um, healthcare is getting much better at this. Okay. Uh, we have a number of partners in this space. I don't, I don't think they've released anything publicly, so I can't see names, but there are a number of hospital and health systems that have gotten really good at internal sourcing, looking for talent. And then on the career coaching side, the organizations that I've seen do really well there are, are financial services. As a matter of fact, at Capital One, we've had, we had that function years ago because originally it was part of outplacement services. And so there, there was an external firm that we we brought in that helped uh, whenever folks were going through a reduction in force. And so ultimately, somebody said, I had the very bright idea, if we're providing these kind of career services for people as they're leaving, what if we did the same internally? And I'll just say in, in financial services, I probably have four banks right now that I'm working with that already have these kind of career coaches internally where they're providing these kind of services, helping with resumes, helping with interviews, helping figure out where you want to go next. What are the skills that you want to develop? Sometimes they're almost like a, 
I don't know, it's a guidance counselor role. It reminds me very much of high school when you're trying to make the decision about like which courses do you enroll in for the next year that help you get to the place that you want to be. It's that guidance counselor type role that I think we're, even as adult learners and folks who are looking for, for mobility, we're looking for those kind of that kind of support in the organization. Yeah, 100%. So I'm curious, as uh, you work in this space, particularly as it relates to helping companies leverage education to create more talent mobility, and you mentioned Dr. Kamara Yule, who's been on this podcast talking about how they use education benefits at, at Rocket to help people move and, and move up and find different opportunities within their organization. How does education play a role into all of this? And, and, and what are you doing at Guild to help companies with more talent mobility? Yeah, I think on the topic of mobility in particular, when hiring managers are making decisions about who they should bring in, they are looking for signals. They're looking for signals on new candidates about whether they have the skills and talent they're, they're going to need to succeed in that role. And education, whether we're talking about a degree or we're talking about a certificate, we're talking about a boot camp, those things serve as signals for hiring manager making a decision or for a recruiter deciding who gets screened about who is worth spending time with as a potential candidate. And so if we look at not, not career mobility, but if we look at economic mobility, the largest single indicator of economic mobility in America is a college degree. It is the thing that determines whether or not you move forward in life and at what pace. And so I think this is an area where there's an interesting intersection between the world of learning and talent development and this world of, of higher education is we can get our existing employees access to new signals about where they want to grow and develop that allow hiring managers to say, yes, you're the person. It's not just a matter of interest. It's not just that you wanted a new job, you combed the uh, workday or whatever tool we have, self job posting and hit the button. But instead you spent six, nine, 12 months, you spent 24 or 36 months investing in yourself and earning the certificate, doing practice projects, uh, taking on new opportunities to grow that skill. And now we feel like you're the right candidate to come over here for me. So I think education in particular plays a critical role in, in sounding a signal for hiring managers about where the interest of that person is in, in correspondence with the opportunities that you have internally. So at Guild in particular, my role I'm a principal for our talent uh, for our career mobility COE. And so what I tend to do, I'll have calls on this with, uh, later in the day, is our employers are investing, our employer partners are investing tons of money in new skills and development for those folks. Walmart came out with press uh, last week or week before where they were talking about the amount of investment they've made in, in employees in recent years. And so a partner like Walmart says, hey, we're making this investment. How do we make sure these folks don't leave the organization? How do we create the opportunities with them? And so we tend to partner with them on, okay, what are the ways that we can get visibility and who's coming out of these programs and when? How do we make sure recruiters have that information? How do we start ramping up the level of social capital that those learners have so that they are known by and know hiring managers to help in that decision-making process so that mobility becomes a reality? How do we make sure that hiring managers see these programs as the right signal 
to make hiring decisions. So I live in this space each and every day where I say, okay, here, here's this pipeline, this potential pipeline of qualified talent coming out of our education assistance program, whichever those may be, Rocket or at Walmart or other employer partners. And then how do we make sure that those folks get to stay internally, that the opportunities are there waiting on them on the other end, and that the employers and hiring managers are excited about bringing that talent into the new area. Interesting. So we said earlier, you know, there's there's more opportunities to take different types of pathways to become successful in the working world today. There are still certain leading indicators of, as you said, economic mobility. And one of those is a college degree, but also related to that as people in recruiting, talent acquisition, sourcing, staffing are looking at candidates to hire, whether internally or externally for roles, they're looking at certain indicators And one of those big ones is education, degree, certificate, whatever it may be to say, this person has learned something that gives them a skill that they can use in this job. And so education becomes an important part of talent mobility because you are providing now opportunities for people, especially maybe in those frontline positions, maybe they didn't have the privilege or the opportunity to go straight to college out of high school like some of us have. Right. And now you're providing opportunity to go either get a degree or learn certain skills that will make you become more eligible and maybe even attractive for recruiters to fill different types of roles within the organization. Yeah, I think there is a whole movement that is skills based hiring. Mm. And I am excited to see that thing take off that says we don't need credentials. But in reality, I've yet to see a, a hiring manager or even hear of a hiring manager who said to them, hey, why don't you bring me a transcript out of the learning management system so I can see what skills you've developed? Or can you just give an export of what you've done in LinkedIn Learning? Or in, I don't want to make it about a particular platform, but they, right. they're they they not saying like, show me your transcript of where you've learned. Right. What, are, what are the classes you've taken and the certificates right. and badges and all that sort of stuff? But what they do say is, can you show me what what degrees do you have? Yeah. Tell me about your external certificates that are perceived as valid in the market. So I, I do think those signals still maintain, even though I wish I lived in a world where that wasn't the case, it yeah. is the case. And so how do I make sure that we have the right signals for especially frontline employees so they have access to mobility just like everybody else. Yeah. And again, like I I think that's changing. I think we do see a lot of organizations that are looking at least at certain certification skills. You look at the movement for a lot of people to get like Salesforce, Salesforce certified or Amazon, I know has been doing like tons of upskilling and reselling in the organization. Lots of tech companies have, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, the number one thing that people are looking at are degrees or you know, major certifications that fit into the types of roles they're looking to fill. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I was on the phone. I was getting real conflicting messages. It seemed every time I got on the phone or heard from a particular employer, this particular organization had made a loud stand about like we're going to go to skills-based hiring, which is really exciting to me. Again, I write about this. I am encouraged by this movement. I think it is good, necessary, beneficial. And then when I actually got on the phone with the folks who were recruiting inside the organization, I said, hey, there seems to be concern about these programs and what I'm hearing. I'm I'm getting real mixed messages. And they were like, no, no, that's what the executives say. At the end of the day, we're still looking for this degree whenever people are coming for the role. And I was like, oh, cool, great. 
Yeah. <laughs> the bias remains in the system. There it is. Uh, How do we make sure that we compensate for it? Still lots and lots of opportunity for change and progress. Yeah. So Matthew, this has been great for anybody listening who wants to work on making some of these changes or maybe learn more about you and the work that you're doing. Where's the best place for them to go or the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. Hit me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash n slash Matthew J. Daniel. That's, that's me. I would love to connect there. Or you can learn more about Guild at guildeducation.com. Guildeducation.com. And of course, yeah, make sure you go connect with Matthew on LinkedIn and connect and follow me on LinkedIn. If we haven't done that already, I'm sharing content on a regular basis, including career-related stuff. And I'm sure I'll find some inspiration from this conversation for a new post about the importance of skills-based hiring and equity for all employees for learning and development. So this has been fantastic. Thanks again for being here, Matthew. This has been great. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Matthew Daniel on helping companies leverage education to create more talent mobility. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully you got some ideas from it, some things that you can do that you can take away. If you have an organization with blue collar, frontline, customer facing employees, warehouse employees, logistical employees, this I think would be especially helpful. And even if you don't, hopefully you got some ideas from this. I do think there are a lot of things that can and will and need to change in our world to provide more opportunities to different people. And it sounds like Matthew is on the right track to working with organizations to help people do just that. And I'm excited to see where things go. Uh, Hey, I want to remind you that this episode, in addition to being brought to you by Matthew Daniel and Guild Education is brought to you by the Talent Development Think Tank Conference and Community. Yes, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I run a membership community called the Talent Development Think Tank Community. It's a great community where we bring people in talent development together on a regular basis to discuss all the latest challenges, trends, and hottest topics in talent development. It's not a webinar format where you just learn from some guru and then You have to buy their stuff if you want more help. It's about truly learning from each other, what's working, what's not, sharing challenges and best practices. We bring in guest speakers on a regular basis. We also do open forum calls where we can really discuss and get to know each other. And it's really all about connection. And that's all done in a virtual format. And you can find out information about the community at tdtt.us. I'm also excited that we have a conference coming up. We're bringing everybody together at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. We've got some great speakers, some great live sessions. It's going to be all about interaction, engagement, and connection, and really learning from each other, sharing information, and learning not just from the speakers, but the other people in the room. It's going to be one of the most unique, the least boring, the most fun, the most engaging conference in talent development. And you can be there. It's on February 22nd, 23rd in Sonoma, California. And you can find out all the information and get your tickets at tdtt.us slash conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. All right. Thanks again for listening. And I hope to see you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.